see some movement at the takeoff zone. It's Kelly Slater grabbing rail. A clean entry. This thing holding open. It spits. When it spit me, I thought it was going to spit me off my board. Comes out with the spit. Spits him out. Comes out after the spit. Gets spat out of another good-looking wave here. Spit, spit, spit. We're just spitballing, right? Yeah, I got Yeah, guy, yeah, guy. Welcome, everybody. <laughs> yeah, bro, what's up? <laughs> anyway, it is Spit. And David Lee Scale sitting to my right in my Ford and F-150 truck in front of the Surfing Heritage and Culture Center. Reserve parking. I'm in a reserve parking spot. It was reserved for you. I don't know about that. It says janitor parking, so <laughs> maybe you're right. They're going to give you a broom when we get done with this. Yeah. Um, Shaq is uh, so kind and goes out of their way, actually, to accommodate us. However, they don't get here till 10, so um, we're here earlier than 10, which is why we're in your car. Yeah. But they are kind. I they- got a call, by the way, from Dick Metz. Did you get a call? No. Huh. What did he say? He's thanking us. Oh, really? Yeah. Do you think he listens? Well, that's not why he was thanking us. Tell me. <laughs> oh, okay, I mean, okay, okay. You know, why. you don't have to tell me that. Yeah. Okay. Now the listeners are like, "Damn, those guys for not telling us." Well, you. I mean, you don't have. Whatever. Yeah. It's stupid. It's yeah, it is stupid. Why'd you bring it up? I didn't know what you were talking about. You spit, brought it up. <laughs> spit. We're spitballing. We are talking all things surf. It is January 29th. It's a Tuesday, and. Um, David, what's on your plate before I get into some of my items? By the way, for listeners in advance, some of the things that I'm going to talk about as a little seeding, a little tease, Stab in the Dark, okay. Vulcan Pipe Pro, okay. Wave Pools, I have a must-see moment, and an intimate dinner. Wow. <laughs> Are we having the intimate dinner together? And it's early for dinner. Can we change it to That's a breakfast? That's completely up to you. I'm looking in the back to see what you have on offer. By the way, thanks for providing this jewelry for today's show. It's yeah, nice. Thank you. Oh. <laughs> it's gorgeous. Um, that's a nice Nobody uh, knows what we're talking about. I know. We need a visual component to the By show. By the way, when I was at Surf Expo, speaking of nobody knows what we're talking about, I think it was Kevin Morris from Heritage Surf Shop. You know Kevin? Kevmo. Kevmo, yeah. Cool guy. Apparently, I don't, I don't, think, he's my, I don't think he's a huge fan of mine, but... So I was with Matt Biolas, and Matt's like, yeah, we were, we were playing golf. at that. What's that cool golf thing that they have out there? It's no like, clue. I forget what it's called. It's called, like, it's basically these driving ranges slash bar where you hit balls into these. Oh, yeah. And you score points. It's kind of like a big bowling alley, but for golf. Yeah, and yeah. You, everyone drinks and blah, blah, blah. They were, Biolas was there playing with the guys from um, Sickle or Creamsicle or I don't know. What's that? I don't know. Corksicle. Corksicle, thank you. Anyway, so Kevmo was there, and I think they had a few beers, and I I think they were sort of started to, like, Matt was going, yeah, they're kind of laying into you, Bass, about just that maybe the show's too San Diego-specific. Oh. That that it's, every time they listen to us, or maybe it's just me, that it's real, like, San Diego, and that I don't see the big picture, and I'm not talking East Coast, which is all true, by the way. Yeah. You know, but so the next day I got to meet Kevin, a really nice guy. And and um, it was cool, but he was basically like, yeah, man, you should come out here and we'll set you up with guys to interview and let's get some East Coast, let's get some New Jersey representation on Spit. 
And yeah. you've done that on Surf Splendor. I mean, you go yeah. out there and do I'll, that. I'll tell you where I actually um, feel bad for the Kevmos of the world is um, Kevmo runs a super successful yeah. uh, retail shop, right? Uh, did we mention it yet? Yeah, I think you did. Heritage. Yeah. And we don't talk about retail. Like retail, surf retail is woven into surf culture DNA. Absolutely. And I think you and I in Southern California, well, now I'm going to offend Southern California retailers, but you and I living in Southern California don't really have a need to go into retail shops anymore. And so it doesn't come up often in the show. And then we actually subvert it at times by talking about all the things that we buy online. And then you go elsewhere in the world and you see that retail not only is thriving, but it's actually like uh, an important cultural component of the surf community, whether it's um, surf film screenings that they do there, or it just becomes a hangout that people hang out in. And I know in Newport Beach, we have the Frog House, which is that way. Um, HSS has a coffee shop called Java Point that they do in Huntington Beach, which actually is, I see every, lots of people there in the mornings. But that retail thing, you and I just don't give enough kind of attention to. So I could see people like that and they're they're also listening to our podcast like retailers are probably some of our yeah biggest I most agree. loyal fans okay so how do we resolve this i think inter- i would love we to need do, a segment i would love to do a series yes. that was like you know um discussing retailers dealing with the transition to digital and maybe them competing with that maybe them converting their business into that um I don't know. There's okay, a million that's, things. That's interesting. I was just more along the lines of like a um, a highlight. A highlight. Like I could pull out a I could pull out a bunch of surf shops right now and just kind of give you the rundown on them. You know, and we could do something like that. Like basically say who works there, who are the owners, how long they've been there, what they're all about, when they started, blah blah blah. blah. You know, just kind of like something you might see on an about page on a right. website. I think it'd be worth it. Yeah. Um, the other thing is, I've just put a bunch of words in Kevin's mouth. Yeah. It sounds like what he was saying to you was more about shining the light on East Coast, not retail specific. So I'm... But you're right, they're one and the same. You know, like, I don't think you can break them apart. I do think that surf surf retail, and I know for a fact, based on my own experience, that surf retail is a huge part of our culture and our DNA, as you mentioned, and it's, it's a part of who we are because as young kids, that's where, that was our playground. You know, like, you went into the surf shop and you just... I mean, you would just hang, yeah. you know, you would literally just hang. Yeah. And then the ultimate is if you got a job there, you know, then you were like top dog amongst the groms, you yeah. know what I mean? I, I was intimidated by surf shops. Yeah. I grew up like 30 minutes inland, oh, yeah. so I never felt kind of like a local feeling, yeah. or at home. And so going into the surf shops, I was like so intimidated and everybody was yeah. cooler than me. Yeah. I didn't quite know what all this stuff was for or like the smaller brands I was unaware of. And I'm like that in guitar stores. <laughs> I go into a guitar store and I'm like, no, I'm just looking my hands or my pockets. Like I'm just like, mm, am I allowed to walk here? That is so funny. You yeah. just saying that made me feel that feeling again a little oh, yeah. bit. Oh yeah. I don't know where I feel that way now. What's one of your things that you're into? Like, well, you're... All the stuff you're into, you're kind of an expert in, like wine and stuff. And everything else I buy online, so I don't really find myself in that situation. What about Victoria's Secret? Like, would you go into Victoria's mm-hmm. Secret and put your I, hands in your pockets, and when they go, can I help you? You're just like, no, no, I'm just looking. I got I'm invited. I'm just waiting for my wife. I got invited to go, like, two weeks ago. It's funny that you use that example, and I declined the invite. Why? Were you afraid? No, not afraid. Oh, okay, so to answer your question, shopping malls give me anxiety. 
I've had like near panic attacks in shopping malls. Really? And I don't have panic attacks with anything else. It was around Christmas time. It was all of the chaos and the melee that just, I was like wildly uncomfortable. I started getting like sweaty and. So it was people? Or the sense that you had to go do something like buy a purchase and and in doing that, you're going to have to get in the middle of this melee and it was just, it wasn't peaceful and serene. Yeah, it was the chaos of it. it. I have zero reason to be there. Like every shop I looked into, I was just like, Mac makeup? What? Who are all those people? Why do they have look like clowns with all that makeup? You know, like why are they spending so much money on makeup? And then the next one's a jewelry store. And I'm like, if I needed to buy jewelry, I would never go to a mall to buy jewelry. You know, like what is that store all about? And then the department stores that just have a, a home department and a clothing department and a shoe department and a jewelry department. And I would just like, what? Why would you ever go in there? You know, like none of it made sense to me. I live in like yeah. a really insular little You're world. You're direct to consumer. I think so. D to C. That's or, David Lee Scales. I'm, D to C. I'm barely even a consumer at this point. You know, yeah. like I kind of know what my needs are. They're really lean. Yeah. I have the same jeans for years on end. Yeah, you know? great. So, <laughs> great. <laughs> and like they come by way of the surf industry usually. So it's, yeah. I don't know. Well, speaking of retail, last time we got into a discussion slash argument about Jeff Bezos and mm-hmm. Amazon, and I was proven correct. Were you? First of all, you what was see our disagreement? The, video, the YouTube that was sent over by one, I think Peterson or somebody sent. Oh, Kevin, yeah. I could look at my phone. To, yeah, yeah, it's an Instagram, right? Yeah, yeah. And basically, you and I had. You thought that Jeff Bezos was just like this lover of books who worked in a bookstore and decided to take it online. I'm like, no, no. This guy worked at a hedge fund in New York City on Wall Street. And he's like, how can I? Yeah, yeah. And there's this great video on Instagram that this guy sent. I me. love when you retell our disagreements. <laughs> how great they are. How, how different they are. Your perception of what I was arguing for is then like... I was just saying, I don't know what his motivation was, and you were assuming his motivation. Turns out your assumption was correct. But I never said he was a lover of books. More or less, you said, I think he was a, in a, he wanted to sell books. That's kind of what you were saying. And I, I was, like, and no, I was no, no, right. No, he, By that definition, I was well, right. Duh. I mean, yeah. yeah exactly. That's, that's, I think he was a male. Kevin Hammer. Kevin Hammer. Okay. Kevin underscore Hammer yeah. sent this video of just Bezos going, yeah. I'll anyway. post it on spitpodcast.com. Yeah, it was an interview with Bezos when he launched the year that he yeah, launched 97, Amazon. Like when everyone's like, and he's like, yeah. So you should just to answer. It's a one to minute prove that I won the debate slash argument. Watch this. So what does he say in the video? He basically says, I mean, we can he, play I'll t- it. no, I'll tell you. He says the internet's growing at like uh, two thousand percent a month or something. Users like this ridiculous growth rate, I'm and Jeff so I Bezos. looked at all the different markets. And what, are you, what is your claim to fame? I'm <laughs> the founder of Amazon.com. Where did you get an idea for Amazon.com? Well, three years ago, I was in New York City working for a quantitative hedge fund when I came across the startling statistic that web usage was growing at twenty-three hundred percent a year. So I decided I would try and find a business plan that made sense in the context of that growth. And I picked books as the first best product to sell online, which are making a list of like 20 different products that you might be able to sell. And books were great as the first best, because books are incredibly unusual in one respect. And that is that there are more items in the book category than there are items in any other category by far. And by the way, what is your- 
I didn't want to acknowledge to Kevin that you were correct, so I didn't I didn't even mention that at all. My comment back to him was, how is it that Bezos looks 10 years younger now that it's 20 years later than he does in that video? Really? You think that? I, oh, totally. I, he's got no hair now. He looks way more like a turtle than... No, he looks like, like um, looks a superhero like, now, you know, like a evil villain or, or something. Or the captain like. on the new Star Wars, you know, that yeah. one actor, yeah. the bald head, yeah. Patrick something or other. Yeah. Anyway, I was right. You were wrong. Um, <laughs> that's fine. Vulcan Pipe Pro. It. The Vulcan Pipe Pro, the waiting period, I think starts today. And it's big and messy and onshore. It's like super strong onshore, crazy winds there. Like at the top of the mountains. I think like on top of Haleakala or the, the big mountains, Kilauea. It's like pretty damn cold and super windy like 20 knot super just blown out on shore wind so point is no Vulcan Pipe Pro the first couple days of the waiting period at least according to me that could change but I'm just getting my info from Surfline and Kevin Wallace and then um, he's suggesting that Thursday may see some heats run the wind may clock around um, and probably things should start to clean up Friday for sure the weekend should be Winds should be right. The swell will have dropped, you know, maybe down to the four to six foot range. But we could see some pretty big and unruly and mean pipe on Friday. Epic. I love this event. Me too. Uh, do you expect Kelly and or John John in the event? I think, did John John pull out? I don't know. He pulled out a pipe, obviously. <clears throat> I don't, I haven't heard any word from him on this. Well, I hope they're both in it. Me too. Um, Kelly's been out there. Yeah, he has been. Some guy randomly sent me, he goes, hey, you should watch the Surfline cam right now. Kelly just paddled out. And you could see, I saw Kelly catch a bunch of waves just watching the cam. Yeah, that's pretty sick. Um, But yeah, Vulcan Pipe Pro. How cool is it that we had the Pipe Masters, the Billabong Pipe Masters, then we had the Dahui Backdoor Shootout, and now we're having the Vulcan Pipe Pro. And I'm not at all uh, fatigued by Pipeline. Like, not at all. You it's know what I mean? Freaking, like, it's high times. Fact, we can do three events in a row, and we're like, yeah, bring on. I mean, you could almost have like a pipeline tour. Oh, yeah. It's a great call. It's high times to be a surf fan right now. Yeah. Whoops. Um, you know what's funny? Some commenter said on the internet was like, why is it the Pipe Masters always gets epic backdoor, and then the backdoor shootout always gets epic pipeline? <laughs> That's always That's the case. Comment. I mean, it's true, right? It's a good comment. It's I know. an interesting comment. I know. It's funny. They need to rebrand both of those. Dahooey, dahooey. Exactly. Dahooey. Dahooey. Um, Stab in the Dark. Are you a fan? I'm a huge fan. I'm a big fan, too. And this year, they've done some interesting stuff with it, right? So they selected McFanning to be their surfer. As you know, every year they kind of hide who the surfer they're going to... They, they Stab does an interesting thing. They sort of like... They build these moments so they're like, okay, Stab in the Dark, we're not going to tell you who the surfer is and then they reveal, you know? They don't... Not only don't tell the public, they don't tell the shapers. Right, exactly. So they tell the surfboard shapers his height, weight, That's and it. stance. No. You know? Well, this year they didn't. They just said height and weight. Height and weight. So this, but the shapers can kind of figure it out, you know, like well, especially when they did Jordy. 
It's like he's six foot three and two hundred and ten pounds. Yeah, they're like Simon Anderson or Jordy Smith. <laughs> exactly. Who else could it be? Although you know who's big like that is um, Jamie O'Brien's pretty big. I don't is think he? he's six three, but he's a pretty big guy. Yeah. Um, who so, else is six three that you would maybe think like you're like okay, it's either Jordy. There's or, guys from history that you could pick. Well, but, no, but like Francisco. Um, who's the guy from Port Portugal that was on Federico? Federico, yeah. I don't know. He's, he's pretty tall. Though. He's skinny. And Owen Wright's pretty tall. But he's skinny too. Yeah. Nobody's as heavy as Jordy. Right. So, Stab gets all these questions about this. Like, how come they do it this way? How come they do it that way? So, I took some of the questions with some of their answers. I thought it may yeah. stir up some discussion between us. So, you mentioned they were asked, hey, do shapers try and find out who the surfer is beforehand? And Stab is suggesting that, hey, shapers do sometimes ask when they start to build the boards, but they typically narrow down the possibilities of who it might be sort of on their own based on the height and the weight that are in the Stab instructions. And sometimes they nail it right away. Mm -hmm. But even if they nail it, Stab doesn't validate. They don't, no, they don't say yes or no. Right. You're just allowed to think it. Right. Yeah. Um. Another one of these questions was, why did you choose McFanning? What do you think they said? Well, let's see. So far they've done Julian Wilson, Dane Reynolds, Jordy Smith. And so Mick would fit in kind of a fill a gap that they haven't done before in that he's a world champ and his surfing is really, really technical. It's a different style of surfing than everybody else's. So it makes sense. And he's off tour, so he has the time to do it. That was basically exactly what they said. Yeah. And some were like, yeah, but he's not really an air guy. Who cares? Yeah. I don't exactly. care. That's what Stab said. Yeah. We've had a bunch of air guys, so now we're doing a non-air guy. Yeah. Um, one of the questions was, you told shapers to make boards for Mexico and Central America, but you ended up in Japan. Are the shapers now bumped? No. I don't think they would be at all. I mean, every every single surfer and or shaper understands that variability is the first thing about surfing like you can never you pull up to your local spot thinking you know what it's going to be and then you realize shoot i should be down the street at the other spot and then you go there instead so i think variability is factored into it yeah i would agree with that i don't think there's too many shapers that are freaked out by that um they said this is stab speaking each year we're faced with shapers who feel like they didn't get a fair go at it when there's only one winner and a handful of finalists, you invariably have shapers who are disappointed, and this will always happen. By the way, this is Sam McIntosh who's writing these responses. Um, some guys wrote in and said, why don't you do it in a wave pool? It's the ultimate fair test for a surfboard. I wouldn't even acknowledge that comment. <laughs> okay, we'll move on. I mean, they could do a wave pool section of Stab in the Dark, like still do the Japan trip, and then come back and do Surf Ranch to um, as a second test, basically, and then compare that with the first results. That'd be fine with me, but it can't be just Wavepool. Yeah. Sam wrote that Stab really loves the unpredictability of the ocean and the fact that some boards are ridden in worse conditions than others and often shine in those everyday conditions is, is kind of cool, and it's also more accessible to 
your everyday listener. It's where your everyday reader. reader is going to be riding those boards. Right. They're not going to be riding them in Surf Ranch. Bring it. I mean, here's the real deal, how I would answer that question. Mm -hmm. um, I understand that they're saying this gives you, this eliminate, the wave pool eliminates a lot of variables and you can really refine what you're testing on that board and which contour does what because it's predictable surface. What I would argue back to that is, yeah, but that's not surfing. We want the board that can adapt and respond to all of the myriad variables that are going to pop up in the ocean. And Mick trying to articulate all of that stuff is getting me towards my end goal, which is finding the right board that's going to work for me in the ocean where yeah. I surf most frequently yeah. with all of those variables. Would you be a guy that would be like, oh, that's the board Mick picked, so I'm going to go buy that board? Heck no. Yeah. Heck no. Right. No. Because I made that mistake once when I was like 22, and Dane Reynolds introduced the dumpster diver, so I had somebody make me a similar shaped board with a squared off tail, and I took it out three times and realized I don't surf like Dane Reynolds. Right. So get on, get on a different <laughs> board with more foam. <laughs> you know what I mean? Do you think that Stab tells McVanning the entire list of the shapers, even though the boards are black and anonymous? No, I don't. That's correct. There's no list shared, but the surfers have a sense that it's likely some of the biggest name shapers in the world based on the previous Stab in the Darks. This year, Stab assigned the boards numbers, but didn't bring the corresponding sheet to identify board numbers with them. So Stab virtually had no idea what Mick was writing. And when Mick was going through the board reveal and making his guesses, Stab literally had no idea at the time if he was right or not. So I watched this video, by the way. I looked for it. I saw the it's, trailer. I didn't see the reveal. Didn't they narrow it down to the final three? They screened it at Surf Expo. So I watched the screening, but they didn't show the last five minutes with the actual winner. But yes, they but narrowed they, it down. Because I was trying to search for who I couldn't even find it online, which was frustrating. Maybe I, I, who are the final what? three shapers of the ten boards that Mick Shape surfed? There's three finalists. I right? might I might get it wrong. Oh. I, it was um, Channel Islands. I want to say Hayden, mm -hmm. and maybe Pizel, huh. or maybe JS. You've gotten it wrong. I forget. I forget. Right. But you know it was Channel Islands and Hayden. almost it's certainly Channel Islands. Um, Shaped by Britt Merrick, and then the other one, I think, and I think it was their Spine Tech, the Channel Islands one. Oh, that's another detail about We'll it. get to that. Okay, okay. Okay, so um, this one question we sort of already answered, but I'll, I'll share it with you. Does Stab share the surfer, Mick Fanning in this case, the typical dimensions that Mick rides with the shaper? And, of course, as you mentioned, the answer is no. Just the length of the board and the surfer size. So in Mick's case, five, ten and a half shortboards is what Mick rides. Width, thickness, rocker, rails, bottom curve, and volume are completely open to interpretation by the shaper. Um, you were talking about Mick trying to assess which board is from which shaper. Mm -hmm. He does it with a shocking level of accuracy. That's what they mentioned. Yeah. There's like how many boards? Ten or twelve? Yeah, ten. Ten boards. And they're all pointy thruster shortboards, right? Mm -hmm. So they're they're very, very, very similar, each yeah. of them, especially considering they're blacked out. He'll lift it up, hold it under his arm, feel kind of the rail line and go, this is a mayhem. And he nails it. Really? <laughs> and he goes to the next one and he's like, this is a DHD. But of course, he's ridden DHDs yeah. his whole life, so he gets that one right. And he doesn't get all of them right, but yeah. the fact that he could get any of them right I is know. shocking to me. That is. It's really, really impressive. Yeah. It's like blind tasting wine in my world. 
Yeah, it's like, it's like blindfold kissing a girl and going, this is Ashley, this is Linda, this, you know what I mean? <laughs> Dang, Scott. Yeah, thank you. Why are the boards black this year, David? Stab in the dark, they're black. Um, I thought it was strictly for, to keep them anonymous. I did too, which makes tons of sense. I think they should do it like that every year, no matter what. Yeah. But. Um, just to hide their construction. A little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Mick's been critical in the past about epoxies or alternative construction. And unbeknownst to him, Stab ordered every board in the proprietary tech that each brand owns. You mentioned Spine Tech, right? Yeah. We specified to the board builders no wooden stringers using sustainable surfs. Uh, my friend Kevin and Michael, it's Sustainable Surf's guidelines to eco-board construction. Our sense was that someone who doesn't like that technology would be the best to test them. As Mick said on location, a good board should be a good board regardless of what it's made of. Given how identifiable each technology is, we sprayed the boards black for anonymity. So that answers that. So here's one bone of contention I have. Okay. Um, Stab has not done a really good job. There's always there's this constant issue with misinforming the public. I feel like board builders often create misinformation unintentionally at times. They're referring to these boards as epoxy. And in the intro that Ashton, the voiceover that Ashton does, he even says, traditionally, boards are made out of polyurethane foam. These boards made out of epoxy. Yeah. Well, in that comparison, polyurethane foam versus EPS foam. Exactly. So, yes, they're right in that the boards are finished with epoxy resin. Right. But you can't use the term epoxy interchangeably with EPS because EPS is in reference to foam. Yep. Epoxy is in reference to the resin. And you can use epoxy resin on polyurethane foam. Exactly. So, I think that the reason why they chose that, why they uh, use that script for Ashton was throughout the entire testing process, Mick Fanning is referring to them as epoxies. He's go and so I think they just wanted a cohesive kind of term to use. But it's sort when, of generic. But in Ashton's narration at the beginning, it's incorrect. Him co converting, you know, or comparing one to the other. Yeah. So I wish that they would clarify that. And only because there's so much misinformation in the public and we get this all the time talking with people and yeah. you at the boardroom show. It's yeah. like people come up and they just use those terms interchangeably and it's like, no, no, no. You can use epoxy with a PU blank, you know? Yeah, there's there's basically three types of foam, right? There's polyurethane foam, which is the standard that we've been using for decades, which is like 90% of boards are made of. Then there's extruded polystyrene, EPS, is extruded polystyrene. Expanded? And then there's, oh, XTR is extruded. Yeah. EPS is expanded. So expanded, it has um, holes in it. Extruded doesn't have any holes in it, right. which means it's waterproof. Right. So that's the XTR foam that Javier and, F and Fletcher uses at Patagonia, is the XTR, the extruded. Right. Expanded is EPS. Correct. Poly is poly. Poly can take an epoxy resin. EPS and extruded can only take an epoxy resin. The the uh, polyester resin that's traditionally used on polyurethane blanks will burn EPS or 
Right, which is why you never fix a ding yeah. on a... It'll melt it. Yes. I think we so, clarified that. But I think it, is, too, it can but stab, be confusing, and I can see why Stab would go, let's just use the generic term epoxy. Although it fits for what they're doing, it, it you and I kind of cringe. I want people to... It's not that hard to wrap your head around it, although I maybe struggled a little bit right then. But No, but I think they owe it. Like, Stab, as a journalistic kind of out... Maybe they're not. Maybe they're a media company, not... No, claiming think, to be journalistic I, I but but they do owe it to the public and just to surfing at large and to those shapers yeah. to correctly identify the construction material and the board builders yeah um how long did mick spend on each board does he spend the same amount of time on each board no he doesn't and that's one thing that in the past people have criticized you know um the shaper let's say the surfer's there for a week and maybe it's even two weeks but they're only getting great waves two or three days out of that time span. And you can't ride 10 boards and really put them through their paces on those two or three days. So some of the boards get surfed in marginal conditions. And in the past, that's just kind of happened and then people criticize. In this version of the video, they actually say that at the beginning. They go, hey, just for the record, not every board is gonna get a fair shake. But what Mick Fanning does is, takes out the appropriate board for the appropriate conditions. So when the waves are crappy, he takes the shorter, fatter swallowtail, you know, or whatever. Well, it says here that um, Mick did better than some of the other guys in the past as far as giving all the boards a, a good go. In fact, Mick's words were he made sure that he gave each board, and I quote, a fair go, end quote. You know what else? I almost think that criticism of Stab in the Dark isn't even valid because guys like Mick Fanning can tell what a board is like even if they're riding it in crappy waves. It's better to ride it in ideal surf, obviously, but still, you can figure it out. You know, I mean, not on one wave, but if yeah, you but take it for a full have session. Have you ever had a board, and I've had this experience where I rode it and I was like, wow, I really like this board, first session. And then a couple of sessions later, I'm like, I don't really like this board anymore. Like I didn't, I don't, like now that I've All kind time, of yeah. felt it out, it's not doing it for me. And I've also had the other where I've ridden yes. a board and went, I don't like this board, and I gave it some more chance, and I ended up loving it. Yeah, I've had that all the time. I think we all have. I mean, I, I have that love hate relationship almost with every board. It goes through kind of ebbs and flows, you know. Yes. Swap out the fins, ride it in different waves. Okay, yes. so I take back everything I said about that stab in the dark thing. The breakdown of shapers by nation state. How many shapers of these 10 boards? Oh, it looks like there was 11 boards. Oh, they added. At the last minute, they got a local shaper in Japan to make a board. Oh, good. But yeah, they, they shipped 10 in. So how many of these shapers do you think were from Australia? I'm going to say 7 out of 10. Four of the 11 were from Australia. Huh. One is from Japan. One is from the Basque country. That must be Johnny Cabianca, right? I think it was Axel Laurent. Oh, cool. From Pucas. And five of them are from the United States. Is Johnny Cabianca from the Basque? I thought no, he was Brazil. He, he, but that's where he shapes out of. He shapes over there in Europe. Does he? Yeah. I didn't know that. The world premiere for Stab in the Dark is in Sydney coming up here in a week. Wednesday, February 6th, a week from tomorrow. Sweet. Is the premiere of Stab in the Dark. I guess that's where they'll do the big reveal. Yep. And details will be shared shortly regarding tour dates of the film around the world. Sweet. 
Yeah. I'm going to Sydney. So after you digest this whole thing, does Stab in the Dark help consumers? Yes. Or is it just a fun exercise? I'd say first and foremost, it's a fun exercise. Um, it, it helps consumers to an extent. I don't think there's going to be a ton of consumers that go out and buy the board that Mick liked the best. But I, Mick does a good job at articulating his likes and dislikes with each board. And that is all kind of edifying for, to me, like for my surf experience. When you're hiring for a small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role, and there's no faster or effective way than through LinkedIn Jobs. Your time and capital are precious, and there is a powerful resource that can help you focus on what you're good at and integrate people into your team seamlessly to help grow your business. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team efficiently and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. Everyone is already on LinkedIn with their resumes and references, and now LinkedIn has designed a hiring platform to connect you with candidates specifically qualified for the job that you post about. More than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set to help us all advance our position. 2.5 million businesses already use LinkedIn for hiring, and 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. It's that fast, easy to use, and effective. LinkedIn Jobs can help you write job descriptions, filter the right person to you, and give you the tools to help you interview them like a pro. LinkedInjobs.com surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. That's linkedinjobs.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. I see it kind of like the intrigue to me is kind of like the masked singer that show on Fox or whatever that channel that yeah. show is where they have a celebrity who you don't even know who it is. It could be Terry Bradshaw or whoever, you know, Judge Janine Pirro from, <laughs> I don't know. You know what I mean? You don't know who it is. You know way too much about network television. And that's a cable. That's a cable station. And they come out and they're masked, and then they, you get the big reveal. So to me, the big reveal is what's fun about this. I don't really expect people to go out and buy a bunch of DHDs or whatever the board is. You know, it's funny, but it's right. Isn't the yeah, big yeah. reveal kind of the, like you really want? You really want Mick to choose, like for me, I want Mick to choose the Japanese shaper. To me, like that's a big win when some underground yeah. guy is the, you know, and I almost think they should do more underground guys and move away from the guys that are already killing it and that's let a what, bunch of what, underground guys do it. That's what the electric acid surfboard test was. Oh, and that's coming up again, actually. Because I talked to Ashton about uh, Stab in the Dark, like after they did the last one with Jordy, yeah. I saw him like the next day or two. And we were like, I'm like, dude, you know, it'd be really interesting just to have non-short boards, but they didn't want to kind of um, ruin the Stab in the Dark brand. Yeah. So they did a separate thing, which They're is doing the, that again. Good. Yeah. I'm should. psyched on that. Okay. So that answered my question. I apologize to Stab for, yeah, the lecture. But they, they take all the feedback is kind of my point is like each time the internet says you should adjust this way, they do. And the next one's better. But what about if you did a Stab in the Dark that wasn't a bunch of world tour shapers? That was just like high performance guys. I guess the answer is you want the best shapers in the world, and kind of these guys are. Well, wait, wait a minute. So that's where I have a problem. Like you're suggesting that these are the best shapers in the world just because 
the best surfers on tour are riding. I don't think that's true. Yeah. I think that I think that Mick Fanning, if he spent ten years of his life with Jordan Brazy from the East Coast, is that how you say his last name? Not sure. Brazy or Brazy? Not sure. My point is, if you if you gave ten years of your life to one shaper, he's going to friggin' dial you in, and the the guy's talent is so good that he's going to win three world titles. Okay, so stab. Days. Um, start that investment now, and in ten years we'll come back and check I'm on the just, results. Dude, I'm just no. The point is, you got to figure it out right now. You got to put a plan into action. No, no. Who I, are the best shapers? How no, are you? You're, gonna, you're the one saying best shapers. That's what I'm having a contention with. For Mick Fanning and the style of surfing that he does, I think it's pretty easy to vet out who the top guys are. I'm saying that I think that Jordan. I think that there's guys that are really great shapers that just don't have the marketing muscle to put themselves out there. Undeniable. Like, for instance, Xanadu is a great example. Like, yeah. There's a lot of guys that were making world tours. Like, Gary Linden was... Guys were winning world championships on his boards. Joey Baran. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, there's guys that just didn't have the serendipitous situation where that McFanning grew right. up as a Grom on their boards or John John grew up on Pizel's board. Like, there's plenty of guys. I mean, it could be argued that Pizel wouldn't even be a brand except he was just... As strong as he is, because he just had the serendipitous thing that John John grew up next to him or whatever. It's funny. With Pizel specifically, he's even said this to me, so I have no problem kind of like outing this. But he's almost succeeded despite his himself. Like, he doesn't even want to be a brand. He's so humble and mild-mannered and like just wants to like build boards on the North Shore. But there's so much worldwide demand on him that he does go up. And like actually fulfill that that business. So do you agree with me though? That I, so I agree with you to the point that um, that there's a bunch there of guys be, out there that could be making great boards for Mick Fanning or Julian Wilson, and yeah. we just don't know. And they're just guys. But, but the problem is, how do you vet? How do you pick those guys? I'm not. So I'm I, not even saying we do that. I just wanted you to acknowledge yes, that oh, these course, aren't necessarily the best shapers in the world. They're world class shapers, but yeah. there's a bunch of world class shapers out there that just never see the light of day because whatever the reason. Well, here's the deal. You have to pick 10. So if I got to, if there's a hundred, if there's a hundred, yeah, I acknowledge it. If there's a hundred world-class shapers who could fit boards in, who would build boards that would compete for first place in this event, you can't include a hundred. So you got to pick 10. And how do you vet those 10 out? Well, these are the ones that well, you have start won a bunch by of saying titles. any guys that's shaping boards for um, CT surfers aren't allowed. No CT shapers allowed in the next set. As soon as you get a winner from that category, everybody's going to be like, yeah, but how does he compare to DHD and Lost and, you know? Well, then what you do is you you take you take the winner from the underground guys and you have a stab in the dark with the past three winners and him. <laughs> you have a, like, stab in the dark tournament of champions. <laughs> This is so complicated. It's not. It is. Well, now you're you've got open your brain. Stabs. Bro. Who's funding this, by the way? Stab is going to be sending all. You know what I mean? Like, it doesn't need to be how, that hard. Don't worry about the funding. They're doing it. You somehow. have to. You have to worry about the funding. I like what you're saying. Here's what we should do, Scott. Next time, <laughs> five CT shapers, five non-CT shapers. We'll get it all done in one go. Yeah. Just look. I'm just throwing Includes stuff on the wall. I'm seeing what sticks. Hopefully, Sam and Ashton will take it in. I'm sure they've already mulled all this shit over. No, but and I, oh, by the way, because they are a marketing agent for those brands, it's kind of like, look, the people that advertise with them are the people who they're going to butter their bread. Man, that's exactly the problem with all of surfing right there. You nailed it. 
Surfing's the worst. It's the worst. That That's a perfect segue for me, but we'll okay, finish. Go ahead. Are you done with Stab in the Dark? I am. I love Stab in the Dark, and I'm looking forward to the electric Kool-Aid acid test. <laughs> and I've said it before. There, you're adding I'm, Kool-Aid this year? I'm pretty... Is that what I, <laughs> I'm pretty much pro-stab. I think stab's the most interesting media thing out there. Scott's drinking the Kool-Aid. I, I look at it all, and I'm just telling you. You like the Kool-Aid. Well, what I see is a lot of people following stab's lead. Mm. Yeah. In what way? Just what I said. They follow their lead. Like, no, but like what type of content like, follows the lead? Like, like the they'll be, they'll be a There'll be surfboard stuff on other websites. Oh, okay. I'm all for it. We should. We need more of it. I want to do. I've actually kind of been joking about it. We need to do an everyman surfboard thing, like the average, the board designed for the average surfer. You know what I mean? Um, okay. So segue from your surfers are the worst thing. We got an email this week from our favorite Southern Hemisphere listener, Rainbow. Scott shaking his head. We love Rainbow. And just the fact that we're reading this email is going to mean that we get 10 new ones this week. Here's Rainbow's uh, email. Quote, I was traveling through the middle of the north. He's from New Zealand. So I was traveling through the middle of the North Island during the holiday season when I got accosted by a mate's cousin. He had taken offense to the surfers or the worst sticker. What do you mean by that? So I gave him my best bassy impression, and I said, surfers are the worst, but got no recognition. I tried to explain that this was one of the call signs of the world's best surfing podcast. He had never heard of it. I told him it was a jovial reflection stereotyping poke at the obsessive compulsive behind the obsessive compulsion behind our surf lust. This only helped to further enrage the guy. His voice was raised and I was summarily told I wasn't a real surfer. I tried to defend the statement, but this guy was having none of it. He body checked me with his chest and walked off with his daughters in tow, denying but infa- denied but infatigably defining the statement of the sticker. Clearly, Scott's axiom and advertising drive isn't reaching far beyond into the world's surfing back blocks. Should I be expecting more Ashton X explosions? Is having an association with you guys causing far-reaching negative antisocial effects evoking violent reprisals? The evidence is coming in thick and fast. End quote. Rainbow, bringing it. Bringing it. Bring Getting it. into fights for us. Surfers are the worst. He got, he got belly pushed? Body checked. Belly body checked, and then the guy <laughs> took his daughters in tow. If nothing else, this just absolutely validates Thank that you. surfers are the worst. And that guy in particular is the worst. Body checking our, our most loyal listener. Bullshit. I know, it really is. I mean, I thought that was the funniest part was that, uh, presuming that that dude is a surfer, that he's so offended by the statement that he body checks his buddy and is willing to have like a ill will towards his buddy simply for having the sticker it indicates surfers are in fact the worst is this fiction from rainbow or did he actually get accosted based on is anything that rainbow says uh it, it all has a question I, mark it all is very very interesting <sighs> it highly entertaining though what do you feel when you see a new email pop through from rainbow what are the thoughts that go through your head the thoughts that go through my head <laughs> all right uh I better read this email. Strap in. <laughs> Strap in. I better read this. It's going to take some energy. That was a, well, my version that I just read was edited. Um, they're always entertaining. I think that Rainbow should 
should obviously he's a he's a very interesting writer. I think he should write a some sort of book, like a novel or something. Um, he needs to partner with the right editor. He's very entertaining. They they're long winded and sometimes go off on tangents, which. By the way, I'm not devaluing. The tangents are sometimes the best part of the emails. But I always wonder about that with writers. I know you're a pretty avid reader. Um, how much of it is a reflection of like the editor's style versus the author's style? Like, I don't know if you read... I'm a fan of Kerouac and On the Road. And they released recently, like a couple of years ago, his like unedited... I forget what they called it on the road um, scroll or something like the unedited scroll. So you can read, which you probably have read the edited version of the book. And then you can read the completely unedited version of the book. And they're almost different books. And the edited version is often superior. Like it's often way, way better. And you understand why they edited, but it's a very different book. You know, I've actually never read any of that. Oh, I never got into any of that sort of like, Boho, ideologue. Beat, beat poet scene. Yeah, like, it's almost cliche. Like, I kind of look at it, I'm like, everyone, like, everyone goes, oh, Kerouac, Kerouac, uh, let's go see fish. <laughs> It's cliche to like it? Yeah. Oh, okay. It's almost, cli- yeah, it's cliche. It's almost like, you know, if you don't mention that in Hunter S. Thompson, oh, you're, I see you're what not you hip I see what and you groovy and cool and blah, yeah, blah, yeah, blah, yeah. and Bukowski, Charles and whatever, Bukowski, it's like. Right. The last thing I need is another dead alcoholic writer. You know, it's just like, come on, give me something better. How do you feel about Hemingway? Yes. <laughs> Same way? Dead alcoholic writer. Yeah. You don't like him, though? No. I don't I don't dislike any of these guys. I, yeah. think they're, I, I haven't read any of it. Yeah, I've just yeah, never yeah. picked it up. Yeah. I've never been one to pick it up. Yeah. Fair enough. Have you listened to The Grateful Dead lately? No. Why not? I never really listened to them in the first place. Thank you. You, I rest my case. Isn't John Mayer singing for them now? That that's the dead experience. Oh, okay. And you know who's really pissed off? We talked about this, didn't we? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Who was really pissed Chris off? Robinson from the Black Crows. Oh, that's right. That's right. Who just like had this big thing against because he John wanted Ma- to be the guy. Well, he sings for them sometimes. Yeah. Like they bring in different people, right? Yeah. I don't know. Does the Grateful Dead even perform anymore? I have no idea. Under the name The Grateful Dead, or is it just a bunch of different, like, there's The Dead Experience, and then there's, like, some, I don't even, I don't know either. Yeah. Palm Springs Wave Pool, bro. <laughs> yeah, guy. My parents retired out there. Well. I go out there, like, once every other month. Do they have a room for us? They do. You want to Sh- share a bed? <laughs> no. <laughs> Shane Magnuson. And Kalani Rob. Kalani Rob. Kalani Rob. Kalani and Shane. They're joining forces for a wave pool in Palm Springs. And here's what's so great about this. And the reason that I'm bringing it up. It's the actual exact same wave pool where Rick Kane from the movie The North Shore won $500 in the movie. And went on to become an icon. And you know why I love this so much? Because that movie informed your entire youth? No. Mm. Because it provides some fabulous marketing opportunities for this new wave pool. Just think about it. If you're the marketing head and you're like, let's start to tell everyone about our wave pool in Palm Springs. You now have the ability to bring in characters from the movie and recreate scenes. Love it. You could have Aki and Robbie Page in that jacuzzi scene. 
You know? Yeah. You could have like Rick Kane like pulling Laird's leash in the wave pool or the other way around. I mean, Laird pulling Rick yeah. Kane. What was Laird's? Lance Burkhart. Lance Burkhart. So Burkhart would pull Rick Kane's leash and then they could both turn around and go, hey, visit us in Palm Springs. You can come pull my leash or whatever, right? You can recreate. Lots of leash pulling in Palm there are All those classic scenes. You can have Jerry Lopez and Derek Ho like, hey, Ollie. Hey, Ollie. <laughs> However that high-pitched thing that they do. Um, Beat it. Turtle. Kick his ass. Turtle needs. Turtle. Turtle could be turtle's, just the mascot. Turtle's going to be there. Move him to turtle's Palm Springs. Gonna come out here and Turtle's going to wax your board. Yeah. Anyway, that's what's so cool about this. You can get Nia Peoples there doing something, now singing talking, a song or something. All of this stuff is awesome marketing opportunity. Nailed it on the head, Scott. Can't Couldn't agree with you more. The same here's, pool from the North Shore. Here's the, uh, you kind of buried the lead with this whole story. I is don't it? think so. Okay, is it? <laughs> <laughs> You're leading my lead. Don't agree. Is it? Um, I don't know. Surprising to anybody else? Do you see Shane Magnuson and Kalani Rob as being our next generation's entrepreneurs? Like, are those the guys that you think of when it comes to like business innovation? And I actually think Shane Magnuson's a smart mofo, and I don't mean to take anything away from Kalani. I don't know him, but. I'm I'm kind of a fan of Shane Magnuson. I'm a fan of both of them. And and he, is he the Neff Jeff Bezos? No. That's what I'm saying. No. Like when you look at like who are going to be like the leaders into our next era of surfing, those aren't the guys that I would have thought of. They're great, but great faces, surfers and mascots. But for faces of the brand, yeah, faces of the brand. Shane's sure, great because he's and literally. Even I don't know. Better, I would say. Well, well Shane's Shane's super customer service oriented at least when i met him and i didn't introduce myself i didn't say anything about who i was or what i was i was just a guy with his son surfing and shane was super cool and he's actually smart no like exactly I, very I smart engaged, i engaged with shane and asked him some questions and i was actually surprised that he wasn't just the customer service facing guy like he's been in it in the back scenes like obviously developing the technology with american wave machines he's no longer partnered with them or working with them but um he's intelligent oh he's, he's i mean i'll be the first to say he's you know he's i'm not sure that i could beat him in an iq test <laughs> which isn't maybe saying much for shane but um i i think that that What's actually the real lead here is why did they leave Waco, you know? And they kind of, well, they talk about, oh, we got this opportunity, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, maybe there's some stuff there that no one knows about. I would suggest, without knowing any of that information, my thought was Waco shut down for a period of time, for six months or whatever, while they put that filtration system in. And so maybe Shane was just out of a job for the six months, and they're kind of like, hey, we're... This has been a huge um, black eye, black eye, and also challenge to our business and cash flow and all of that. And it's a fresh start. We'll give you your job back when we start in March or whenever they're going to start up again. But for these six months, you're on your own. And he had to figure out other things. And this thing's on the horizon. Kalani, I guess, called him, and they put together enough capital. They purchased the property, is what I read. Kalani. I think they're. I don't know. Did you read that they own that property, or are they just yes. investors? No, no, no. I saw that they purchased the property because it's and they're renovating. It's it. one big like 
it, it's a wet and water wild. park. Yeah, wet and they wild. They bought the whole wet and wild? That's what the thing that I read, I don't even remember where it was. I'll look it up and put it on spitpodcast.com. Wow. If they bought they the bought, whole wet and wild. They then... bought the property and they're renovating, currently renovating. They don't have a launch date yet. And they he also didn't say which technology it was that they were going to put in. Well, I've seen the size of the pool. It can't be a plow. I'm sure it's, you know, based on what I saw, a plow needs a much bigger pool. But yeah. I'm, I'm sort of, I mean, I'm saying that rather ignorantly. I'm not an expert. Yeah. But based on the two plows that we've seen, Inland and Kelly's. Yeah. You need. And the one in, the one in um, I, uh, England or Ireland. Where's that one? Wales. That Andy has. Wales. Those ones, those plows need a pretty big pool. This pool isn't that large. So I'm just going to suggest to you it's going to be um, sort of a plunger type or um, you know an air pressure type wave. So if it is not a plow, what are the companies? American Wave Machines There's quite would be a one. Few. I mean, Surf Lakes would be another one. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if Tom Lochtfeld has some technology that can do that stuff. American Wave Machines. Wave Garden has that little... The new cove, yeah. which obviously isn't Could a plow. Weber. My money is, yeah, I mean, there's so many guys out there. Like, there's quite a few. You'd yeah. be surprised. They haven't even had a chance to show their technology off yet. I mean, I'm <clears throat> presuming there's no bad blood with American Wave Machines. Um, I think that is kind of the leader in turn. They have the best proof of concept at this point. Like, that wave is sick. The one they had in Waveco was sick. But Shane said in something I read that he's basically had cut his ties with American wave machines. Yeah, as a consultant, but you can still buy their yeah, buy their technology and use it as a consumer. Absolutely. Or yeah, as a customer. So we'll we'll have to see, right? The the whole wave pool thing it's I mean we're always saying it's blowing up, but I really feel like I don't know. This year seems exciting for whatever reason. For me, I don't. I don't have anything to put my hands on. Why I feel that way, but well, I sense there's something. There's something in the ether beyond just the pools themselves. I mean, it's the Olympics. It's the WSL's ambitions. It is the wave pools. I really do feel like we are at the cusp of significant growth for surfing as a whole. Yeah. Um, way beyond the coastlines obviously i think it's well you and i spoke about the austin thing that wsl is going to do it at inland their new kelly slater wave pool in in austin yeah is super like the potential it's going to be is insane u.s open 2020 at austin texas could be yeah that would be insane i mean i really believe that's an ambition of theirs i don't i don't doubt it i think i stated as much last time and you were you were kind of, you, you won, weren't on board. You won me over. <laughs> I drank the oolong. The boardroom show. <laughs> you drank the oolong. That's a very under the radar reference. True fans will print stickers. The only pr- true fans know. By the way, you shared your oolong with Dan Mann. Of course. I felt a little You've had the oolong? Yeah, I know. I thought it was my oolong. No. I didn't know you were going to be sharing your oolong no, with everybody. that's my move, actually. Every time I do a show with a boardroom podcast, you... You sit down with a, a warm, buttery oolong. Take a sip of my oolong. <laughs> Won't be flung before you're oolonging. Boardroom Show is having a special, intimate sit-down dinner with Wayne Lynch. Only eight people. 
Only eight people? Sit down to a three-course meal with wine, beer, and live music at Ranch 45. Your chance to dine with a legend, listen to his stories, ask questions, become friends with Wayne Lynch. More will be revealed, including uh, how to get tickets. You going to sip oolong? There might be some oolong there. I think you have to at this point. Oolong's sort of reserved for guests of the Boardroom Podcast. You come in, candles are lit. The lights are turned down, the oolong goes down, and conversation flows like never before. So this is an intimate, elite dinner, but not Sit so elite there. that you get oolong. We might provide There's oolong. levels of eliteness, and this isn't the top. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm really excited about how, this. How are you going to pick your guest list for that? You buy a ticket. But All you have to do is buy buy a ticket. You're going to have way more than eight people that want to come uh, back. It's, it's, it's first not come, a first cheap come. ticket. Oh, clearly, but still. So, first come, first serve. First come, first serve. Okay. And are you going to send invites out in tears? No. Okay. And smiles. Just, it's no, no, no. T i e r s. No. S m i l e s. Okay, you got me. I'm dumb. See, I told you Shane was smarter than me. <laughs> you going to send the invites out to like your A list guests first, and if they don't reply, then you got a B list. I haven't even gone that far. Okay, I right. might have to do that. I don't know. All right. I'll I be might. waiting for my invite then. You're invited. If okay. you can Thank you. pony up, you're in. Thank you. I'll get a sponsor to pony up for me. Okay. Get, um, talk to your dad. <laughs> um, coach changes for the Olympics. Gallagher? Galley's in. Yeah. Baran's out. Yeah. Jake Howard wrote the piece, put it on stab. Yeah. Um, Galley, I guess, was going to go into, like, going to take a year off from coaching Jordy in 2019, mm-hmm. um, which I thought was actually, again, burying the lead. Like, that's kind of the interesting story for me. Maybe it's just Galley needs to spend more time at home, and he lives on the North Shore, and he shapes boards and all that. And traveling the world on tour is obviously um, a huge obligation and constraint of your time. So... It makes sense that he would want to spend time at home, but I wanted I was curious if maybe there's more to it. I wonder if Jordy isn't seeing the results he wants. I wonder if Galley's not seeing the results he wants out of Jordy. Like, what about that relationship? Um, or what's Jordy going to do this year? Is Jordy bringing on another coach? I want to see Jordy ascend to greatness from, like, I want to see him number one in the world. You do? I do. Yeah, I love Jordy. And I believe Did that he's Did Jordy ever it. do his two-year service for the South African Army? I he- doubt it. That's what he needs to do. Because he's been on tour since he was 18. I think he needs to go do that service to his country. And that'll make him a better surfer? I didn't say that. That'll make him win a world title? Maybe. Mm. It might give him the hunger that he desires, that yeah. he needs. Yeah. I don't know if he desires it, but he needs a little more hunger. Right. So, um, Joey Baran was the coach for the U.S. Olympic team, and Galley was a minor player. This is from Jake Howard was a minor player as the Olympic performance coach, but when head coach Joey Baran stepped down, he was quietly named the head coach of America's first Olympic surf team. Originally hailing from Santa Cruz, he served his time on the championship tour, knows his way around the shaping bay, and has coached everyone from Jordy to CJ. Um, I love Joey Baran. So like, why God, did he I step would go down? to war for Joey Baran. Why did he step down? I don't know. I'm not sure. Maybe it was he was Joey's often like, hey, you know what? I need to focus on the church or my family. Like he's got probably his priorities. Is he a pastor? He was at one point. I don't know what he's doing now. But um, why would you go to bat for him? 
I got a war for him. Because I've just seen him in action. He's just, he's friggin', he's just, he's just a good man. Yeah. He's a good man. You know what I mean? And I just, and I think he bleeds red, white, and blue. And I know his dad was in the military, and he's got, he's got a good value system. He's principled. He's a straight shooter, no bullshit. Joey Baran. No I'm not bull, saying Chris. No Gall- I'm not saying I wouldn't go to war for Chris Gallagher. No. I don't even know Chris, but so, Chris, has Galley ever been in Stab in the Dark? No. See, that's the kind of guy I'm talking about. Like, yeah. why wouldn't you if he's shaping boards for these guys on tour? Yeah. I've seen Kelly riding his boards too. Uh, so Galley said, this is the beginning of something that's potentially a very long process. Everyone is trying to figure out how to qualify. Can you get the team together to train? Are they unified? Do they care? Do they not want to be there? All these different things have to be worked out. Anytime there's something new, there are bounds. There are bound to be unknowns. And this is a long-term process. And I guess the long-term goal would be to standardize training for Hawaiian and mainland surfers um, that they can access. We wouldn't be having this conversation at all if this was the fifth Olympics that surfing was in. This would be all standardized stuff and everybody would have had it figured out. The stage is crazy big and so much more beyond anything anyone in surfing has been exposed to. End quote. Lots to unpack there. Yeah, the first thing is, how big is the team, right? It's it's two surfers male, one surfer female. Yeah, I don't, I don't, you only need three people. So here's what's interesting to me is not even galley knows the coach of the usa team doesn't know what the qualification process is what the train like what are the requirements well no no that's out there he's got to know i mean that's like they i mean just between you and me we've had this discussion i think they qualify through the ct if your nation state has surfers in the ct the top two nation state surfers are in the, the olympics so whoever it is if it's Kaloe and who would be john john Right, like today, it would probably be Chloe and John John, or or no, Colapint. Uh, it might be um, uh, Connor Coffin. Who's number one and Jeez, two dude. North American? I don't it's have John the John on me right now. Yeah, I mean, first of all, John John wouldn't be because he was injured for most of the year. Well, so, I'm not, okay. so it, that's what's interesting because what yeah, I, it'd be Griffin and prob- it would be Chloe and probably Griffin. And so, what's interesting to and that is what he said about, do they even want to be there? Didn't he say something in that little quote yeah. you read about? Yeah, Because maybe John Jones was like, nah. You know, like if, I, if I got a sense from anyone that they weren't like, if they didn't immediately call me and be like, dude, I'm in, I'd be like, you know what? If you're not into it, I don't even want – that's the kind of thing Joey Brown would be. He'd be like, you know what? I never heard from John John. So, no. And I'm just using that as an example. I'm not saying John John doesn't want to be in the Olympics. I'm just saying if I didn't like – you know, I would want to know who's into it. Yeah, you know, absolutely. I would just go, and then I would, I would like forever make them watch that. Do you believe in miracles? Movie about the nineteen eighty eighty was it eighty nineteen eighty or seven the the Olympics? I think it was the eighty Olympics, right? Yeah, that's insane. Um, Connor Coffin is the highest ranked American surfer on the CT for two thousand eighteen. He was seventh. Kanoa, who's actually now Japan. Is tenth and, and then out. and then Kaloe is eleventh. So, so it'd be Connor and Kaloe. I wonder if either of those two guys have called Galley yet. Right. Like, I'd be if I was Galley, I'd be wanting to know who's calling me. Yeah. Who's the who's got? And if you don't call me, that tells me you're not really into it. And here's the other thing: is it's going to be is the Olympics for the United States of friggin' America. So part of it is I want to be on the very first Olympic team to ever surf. You know, and 
maybe even win a gold. Not that's even. A, that's that's a, I don't want that to be the reason. An, you call no, me no, no, because no, no, no. you but want to represent. If you're the surfer, what's the reason to do this thing? Where's the value add to your life and your career and your life? If that's your thinking, I don't even want you on the team. Really? Yeah. You're out. If you don't know the number one reason for surfing in the Olympics is to what's watch it? that flag get raised... Then you're out. If you're like thinking about what's it going to mean to my career, then you're not thinking about the big picture. You're thinking about yourself, and I don't want you on my well, team. Well, these guys have very, very real constraints of traveling around the world for the tour, and they want to win a world title. Poor me. So you have to decide, poor me, poor do me, I want to invest? Me. No, not poor me. I have to decide, do I want to spend my year chasing this goal or that goal? So you have to figure out what's best yeah, for you. if you don't even know, if you, don't, if you so, haven't already made that decision, okay. so you're hear me, out. So hear me out. Yeah. Um, Go ahead. So, I could see those guys, they're weighing out the options, and the reality is the surf is going to be held in Chiba at potentially a crappy beach break. So, what if you devote to the goal of trying to compete in the Olympics, and then you end up surfing one to two foot crap, and you lose your heat, not because of your surfing, not because of your lack of training, but because the waves are just terrible at Chiba. That's a, that's a wasted effort. No, you didn't waste your effort. You, you've put your whole two years of your life into it. The results. For something that's way out of your hands that, like, I'm not convinced. My point is I'm not convinced that the Olympics are going to understand surfing well enough to make sure that these guys all get a proper playing field and chance at representing their country the way that the WSL does. Well, I'm not doubting that. What so I'm then why would you do it? You know what I mean? I already told you why. The red, white, and blue. Yeah, but you're not going to be able to... Do it because your country's you're not calling able, you. Mm, you're not going to be able to represent the red, white, and blue if they're not giving you an adequate platform to represent on. No, you, you go and you represent, you know, you go with what... The, like a, like Joey Baran would say, these are the cards that are dealt, go out and friggin' win. Joey Baran's not there to say that anymore. <laughs> well, I hope Galley's So that's say. another question. You know, I'm like, why did Joey Baran leave? I want to know all this stuff. Yeah, it's all, it is interesting. And maybe I'm being. Uh, no, I hear you, though. But I mean, it's the Olympics. You know what I mean? Like, this is what you do. You, you go out and you try to win a gold medal, no matter if you have to swim outdoors or swim indoors or surf in crappy waves or ski on ice. Go get it done. We're all surfing the same stuff. Yeah. Get it done. Crap. Get it done for the red, white, and blue. Where's Kirk Douglas? What was that coach's name? He was great. Hal or something? You're talking about you're talking about the uh, hockey the, the team. The Olympic right? hockey team, yeah, yeah. That guy was insane. Yeah. What was the player's name? Michael Ruzioni. Wow. Yeah. You did everyone's love this movie. everyone's this is, might be the greatest sports movie ever. Like when you think about great non comedy sports movies, like not counting Caddyshack which is the greatest movie ever in any category. But Miracle on Ice with Kirk Douglas playing the coach You're might not- be the greatest, and I think it is, and I'm talking like even better than like um, that movie with uh, Marciano in it, with Al- with uh, De Niro. Red- Raging Bull? Raging Bull, So yeah. you're talking about not the Disney movie. The Disney made another movie about it called Miracle. I'm not sure which company made it, but it's got Kirk Douglas. Not I mean, Kurt Russell. Kurt Russell, I'm sorry. Okay, God, dude. I've been watching Kurt so Douglas on you're TV. You're driving me insane. Way, have I'm you thinking, been watching that? No. Have been watching that? No, but I'm thinking in my head, I know that there's a Douglas. Kurt Russell movie yeah, Kurt Russell. from Disney <laughs> yeah. fairly recently called yeah. Miracle, but you keep calling it Miracle on Ice with Kurt 
Douglas. I'm thinking there's an ancient version that was apparently shot in the 70s before the event even took place. No, no, no. And when I met Kirk Douglas, I met Michael Douglas. Have you been watching I can't do both of our jobs for us, Scott. God, thank God you're here. No, watching Kurt Russell, Miracle on Ice. Just miracle. Okay, it's just miracle. miracle. Whatever the name of the movie is, you know that. But what are you asking if I'm watching now, currently? It's got Michael Douglas and Alan Arkin. It's on Netflix. Oh, yeah. It's called The Kaminsky Method. Yep. I watched a couple episodes. It's pretty cool. Yeah, I liked it. But anyway, it's from the you got to watch the Kurt Russell movie if I'm the captain. You got to, like, watch the coach's speech in it. Yeah. So it's I'll spitpodcast.com. I'll put the trailer up for Miracle. Scott's favorite movie. <laughs> it's right up there with Spinal Tap and Caddyshack as the greatest Christmas movies ever. What? <laughs> oh my gosh, dude. Um, do you have a must-see moment and all that stuff? I have a must-see happy moment. Yeah. Spy Optic presenting yeah. us with a must-see happy moment. I need some spy uh, snowboard goggles. Why, your boy stole them? No. Yeah, that. But I'm, and I'm leaving Thursday. Okay. Think they can hook me up? I think so. They've always shipped everything real quickly. O'Neill Wave of the Winter. Tori Meister's Backdoor Disappearing Act, which is on Surfline because they're hosting a lot of these O'Neill Wave of the Winter clips. Have you seen this? I would say all of them even. Yeah, they are doing all of them. It's a mental one. What's really cool is Tori's backstory here, and I'm going to read it for you. Honestly, before that wave, I was having one of the worst sessions I've ever had at Pipe, Meister said. I didn't catch a single wave for over two hours. I wore a ton of second and third reef roll-ins on the head and felt like I was underwater more than I was above water. I broke my leash bailing on a cleanup set. I got to the beach and thought about calling it quits, but I just couldn't end the session without catching a single wave. Ulu boy let me let me borrow a leash, and I paddled back out. I tried to catch a little three-footer, and I caught another one, a lip, and had to pencil dive. I got caught in the lip and had to pencil dive, excuse me. Then I wore a thick six-foot double-up pipe wave on the head that felt like it was trying to push me through the reef. I paddled back out super frustrated and then got that backdoor wave and it made all those beatings worth it. Gotta love Pipeline. End quote from Tori Meister. Great story. It is cool. And Tori is that guy. Like Tori, I feel like, has taken more beatings than almost anybody, both in the water and then also just kind of from an industry standpoint. Yeah, like he's kind of gotten the shaft a lot yeah, of times yeah. and in heats and stuff. And he always gets back up and then just shows up and does stuff like that. That's why we all love him. He's a hardcore, he's a surfer surfer. Here's what's interesting for me about that story is, do you still have the fight in you after you've taken that many beatings? Like often if my headspace is that shaken up, I can't even get to my feet. A good wave will come and I'll botch it just because now my mindset's all off. Tori Meister's the kind of guy I want on my Olympic surf team. Definitely. That's a great call. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a couple of other guys like that, too. Um, who's the rep for Lost around here that's been in, like, the finals at Pi? Oh, Nate Yeomans. Yes. Yeomans is a guy I would want on my Olympic surf team. Like, these surf are the so types. Good I don't too. want some, like, I've, I've everything's been handed to me. Oh, I'm not sure if it's good for my career if I surf in the Olympics. You know what? You're out. Don't even call me. You're out. 
I don't want you. Even yeah. if you did want in, it's too late. Yeah. I want the Yeomans type. I want the Tory Meister type. I want like Damien Hobgood. Mm-hmm. I'd rather take an old beat up prize fighter that's just got it in him and was ready to go than some like slick back. You know what I'm saying? Millennial. Pro- yeah, I know. The problem is... Do I sound is, like a grumpy, salty old man? Very much so, but Thank this you. does have the makings of a Disney movie. It does. really does. Um, Maybe they'll listen to this before their heat. Who would play as you? As inspiration. Who would play you as the crusty coach in the Disney movie? Kurt Russell? <laughs> no. You can't just pick your favorite guy. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> who would play me? Liam Neeson? <laughs> That's who, even though he's Irish. <laughs> Or Scottish or whatever. He'd be American for this movie. How did that guy become the ang- a superhero? Yeah, I don't I know. I mean, that guy was like such a Streisand, you know, like prior to the um, Taken. He was just like this sensitive, like it's so funny that he's become the guy. Matthew McConaughey. Oh, he'd play you? But of course. Dude, I saw a great meme this morning <laughs> that was like, this isn't even a joke. I'm just yeah. going to list the names of characters names that matthew mcconaughey has played and it listed all the names and they were so so funny um just like full hillbilly names you know there's a movie re- he made called gold or it's about yeah. a, did you see that mm-hmm. that's a pretty cool movie mm-hmm. I enjoyed true that. story too yeah okay so that's your spyoptic.com. use promo code podcast to support this show happy lands i'm seeing things through a happy light today you are and, and i that really was a great call do need to get some I'll uh, can you, um, try to facilitate can you help it today. Thank you. Can you send me an email for which one you want? Yes. Go to their website, copy and paste the URL, send it to me, and I'll try Done. to make it happen. All right, so my must-see happy moment comes from a very similar time. Cole Christensen. Oh, God, that picture, that that still image so that Kelly Slater posted? Did you see that? Kelly said, posted it and said, is this the best pipeline shot of all time? I think it is. Cole Christensen, two nights ago on the last wave of the day, on the best day of the year, on his final ride before the birth of his second daughter. Oh my God! A roll in from Second Reef on a six. Or I'm sorry, on an eight-six Brewer. This picture sums up why we surf, and nobody seems to be more in tune with the ocean than Cole. Oh, and his best friend got the shot from Jet Ski in the Channel. Daniel Russo, you should make some limited edition prints of this one. So it's a great image. Again, a must-see happy. What's moment. the great thing about that image? In your eyes. Um, what are your eyes brought to? Well, I love that it's a wide shot. So it shows background, foreground, all of that. It is a pristine wave, but it also shows how treacherous the wave is. You could see like the the uh, trough of the wave is below sea level, and it's freaking death-defying. It's double overhead. It's as wide as it is tall. It's got that perfect... Um, offshore kind of that's what i really like the yeah. feathering little droplets of exactly. water at the top are just mental and cool. it's backlit so like the sun is kind of coming through behind the wave uh it's a perfect photo so, so kelly so nails it but we had a listener send us an instagram from cole christensen's brother chad christensen that gives more backstory so Ch- chad says this day i woke up um from my nap to text from Daniel Russo saying pipes good Cole's out Slater's out I didn't even think twice I just grabbed my stuff and headed down to the beach Cole hadn't been surfing pipe this much that much this winter season so I wanted to get down there to see him Russo said that Cole was on a 8-6 brewer shaped only for waves like that from second reef 
So he's on a brewer that's designed for second reef pipe waves, which I think is interesting. Mm. After Cole climbed, after Cole got that wave, he climbed onto Russo's ski, and then they just cruised till sunset just to watch the show. The next day, Cole's wife uh, had their second child, and it was that was his last ride before the birth of the child. Fate, craziest thing ever. Regardless, Kelly Slater posted the Russo angle, and it's ridiculous. It broke the internet, so I just wanted to add my two cents as well. Congrats to Cole and everything. Truly, the ride of a lifetime on every level. What do you name the girl? I don't know. It's a good question. Nia. No. Pipe. No. <laughs> two on the nose. Uh. Well, congratulations to Cole, Chris. That's such a cool photo. I love that photo. Oh, it's such a great moment. Uh, great backstory, too. Can you think of another photo of Pipe where you're like, like, that's just like definitive? I mean, I, a lot come to my head, but there, you're right. There isn't one like defining moment like there is with Backdoor and Tom Curran's cutback. Like that's a, that survey image is... There's what, quite if you a type few, in, actually. If you type really... in backdoor, that's the image that comes up. If you type in pipeline, you're going to get 100 images. Well, and it, and it depends on your generation, right? Because I remember the Jackie Dunn poster from Surfing Magazine that that if you if you sold enough magazines during one of those subscription drives, you, you that was one of your prizes was you could get that poster of Jackie Dunn, yeah. which is like a really dark, mean, it's a dark, dark black wave. He's on a red board, and he's kind of his hands are kind of creating a little bit of, a little bit of you know like, I don't know what the word is, some chatter maybe from his fingertips, and it's just a mean wave when you're 12 years old. You're just like, oh my god. So that's one, right? Another one is, is Al Chapman. I think it's a black and white photo where he's standing and his feet are together, like almost parallel, like a statue, and he's got his hands on his hips, and he's sort of just almost mocking the wave a little bit i think it's not a full tube shot. no i think the most iconic pipeline photo actually is the greg knoll standing on the beach shot yeah that's that one's right there yeah unfortunately but i mean riding away that's what i'm saying unfortunately for it's kind of like that's the shot but it's because it shows all the terror of the spot without anybody being on the wave that's sort of a story that hasn't been excavated enough as the real true pioneers of pipe and they're mostly gone but the guys that rode pipe like the first couple times like the first Dude, two years when you look at the like, board that greg's holding I'm, I'm like i would never ever want to paddle that thing out there there's guys like who got the first tube at pipe you know like it could be phil edwards it's said that it might be phil edwards it's said that it might be um john pack it's said that it could be um butch van artsdalen i'm saying those guys are all barrel dodgers dude you watch that old footage of them dodging the barrel? No, but I mean, so who... Well, a lot of it had to do with their boards. I know, I'm just messing. But uh, somebody did yeah, get barrel. That's a great I question. I mean, like, you know, what? at what point do you go, okay, that's not really um, a curl ride or a right. pocket ride. Like, he was behind the curtain. Yeah. Who, yeah, like, that story needs to be... How come no? that's, like, a story that nobody's... None of us can go, oh, it's that guy. Oh, it's for sure Fred Hemings or whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah. And they can all point to a picture or a movie, a motion picture, you know. So anyway, that would, Great be, question. That would be one that ELO and the WSL should try to excavate and well, find the answer to. Um, thanks to Spy for the support of the show. We also, Need Essentials is a sponsor of this show. I talked about Thank You, Mother, their new film that they're premiering in Australia. Torn Martin's coming out to Southern Cal. They're really? doing when? a screening. Uh, 
soon, like uh, two weeks. I want like to get early, them at the boardroom. Sure. Early February. Um, they're doing a screening in San Diego at the La Paloma. I think they're doing a screening in L.A. as well. So we'll link up with them. Tell We will post for listeners where they can see screenings of Thank You, Mother. I would like to have a movie night that coincides with the boardroom show because the people at the Del Mar Plaza, which overlooks the ocean at 15th Street, they have this beautiful outdoor area. Where, and they're reaching out to me going, hey, let's do something together. It would be cool if we could have a movie screening at the Del Mar Plaza, like the Friday night of the boardroom show or something like that. Do it. Yeah. So, I'd love that. So I'm throwing that out there to um, Whoever wants Rob. to pick up the... Well, Rob at Neat Essentials or whoever. Maybe Patagonia has something. And Neat Essentials, by the way, they've been a fantastic sponsor of this show, but they don't require you to use a promo code or anything. So um, they're often not able... And that's intentional. It's kind of like, no, just keep it casual. But I would suggest to anybody, if you can send a note with your order, mention the podcast because that does uh, help close the loop for us. And they've got everything from wetsuit. I mean, it's primarily wetsuits and then outerwear for the mountain bringing my puffy jacket to utah i've got one right here yeah where are you going utah whereabouts brighton Mm, never been me either it's my first time going i did brian head last year southern utah it was so good dude yeah i actually learned to ski there at brian head did you really yeah i learned to ski at park city oh you're spoiled (laughs) brian head that was back in the 80s yeah Anyway. All right, Scott. My, I got a Duke real quick before we go. Oh, good. Chris Brown. <gasps> oh, man. Shout out, Brownie. That's super sad. Chris Brown Does anyone died? know what happened? Not yet. It hasn't been identified. His body really. washed up. Was he in a wetsuit or in clothes? I don't know. It, I got the indication. You can't end good here, though. I got the um, impression that he was in street clothes because they nev- nobody said he died surfing. They said that his body was found at the bottom of the bluffs. Um, of the Douglas, Douglas Family Preserve near Arroyo Borough mm. Beach County Park in Santa Barbara. Mm. He was 48, and he worked as a commercial urchin dive, diver at the time of his death. He was a mild, from Matt Warshaw's Encyclopedia of Surfing, he was a mild-mannered pro surfer from Santa Barbara, described as a pre-adolescent surfing genius and winner of the junior division in the 1988 World Champion World Amateur Surfing Championships. He was born in 70 in Los Angeles, raised in Santa Barbara, began riding waves at the age of 10, uh, smooth-flowing style uh, that he developed that resembled fellow Santa Barbaran Tom Curran, many said. My exposure was through all of Josh Palmer's films, California, Northern California surf filmmaker in the 90s, um, always had really rad Brown, Chris Brown sessions. Brown later kind of developed a prowess for surfing big waves, and he was, he got, I feel like, he, yeah, he got cover shots at Mavericks. He was the guy who's in the foreground of the famous Jay Moriarty image, where Jay's at the precipice doing the crucifix kind of pose yeah. and his boards just hovering out in front of the lip at that I, I mean that is one of the best surf shots of all time Chris Brown's the guy in the foreground rad so um, sorry sad, to hear that sad situation but um, yeah I think he might have left behind a daughter and blah 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 it's super sad. so sad I don't know what to say it bums me out well quite the shift into uh, the next segment but I've got a kook okay kook of the week I think you and I owe a PSA to the surfing world at large. Public service announcement? Public service announcement to clear. Or is that some sort of prostate exam? Uh, we could do both. A PSA? If you want. Sounds like a prostate exam. Um, we really do. We, we owe- in Morse code these days, so I need to have my <laughs> prostate checked. 
That's amazing. Yeah. Uh, we'll get that taken care of. Too dude. much info. That is a preventative, you know, like you can get that checked out now and right. thwart so future cancer. That was our PSA. We just did it. Well, I got another one. Yes. Probably um, a little more universal for surfers. Uh-huh. We need to clear the surfing lineup of foil boards. Period. Really? I'm, st- I'm taking up foiling. No, so take up foiling down the beach. Oh, I will. No, so that's not. the point. That's the, my Where only point. Where do you point. see it? Dude, are I saw, there really guys foiling around where yes, there's are there I kooks? see foils in the water now all the time. And I surfed with one two days ago. And it, there's enough separation. He was savvy enough to be able to kind of avoid the waves that we want to catch. But he was in the lineup. He's was in he the good? lineup with surfers. He was good. He Who was, was good. it? Uh, dude, uh, I had never seen the guy goofy before. Foot? Goofy foot, bigger boy on a with a paddle. It might have been Ted Robinson, man. No, 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 no. younger. But huh. here's... Here's the here's the deal, Bondi, out they banned him. The Daily Mail reports that Bondi bans hydrofoils from the lineup. Yeah, and I think if everybody, if now that this thing's coming online and people are really embracing it, do it with responsibility. So do it down the beach, and we won't have to invite regulators in to regulate for us. Just do it down the beach, away from the actual surfing lineup. Yeah, and I posted a uh, clip. Um, on Instagram last night from County Line, a guy on an actual wave, like a shoreline breaking wave, and the foil hits the rocks, and I he saw eats crap. And apparently, he lost the foil. It popped it out of the box, and he lost the foil. And he's on Instagram asking people to find the foil for him. And then somebody actually went to Surfline cams from that same day and sent me footage of the Surfline cam where that guy's wiping out on a wave in front of a surfer who's paddling out, and the foil like does a bob like a tombstone flip or two uh-huh. in front of the surfer you cannot be riding those things yeah, in the lineup bullshit. with surfers right now let it be known don't do it there's yeah. going to be first of all if there aren't going to be deaths there's definitely going to be altercations from surfers telling you to beat it and then getting into fist fights with you for foiling in the lineup foil down the beach yeah no question you know what needs to happen is somebody an influencer in the space like kai lenny or Elo. Jeff Clark or somebody Elo. needs to make, you know, this just totally reminds me of the stand-up thing in like the year 2000 when it was starting to blow up. And we literally wrote articles, like Brian K. Alana would write an article about safety. I would write an article about, you know, stay out of the way, you know? This is infinitely more dangerous. Oh, for sure. For sure. Yeah. Anyway, that's, okay, so that guy's the kook. He's our first foil kook. How many more will there be? Many, I'm going to try many. to. I'm going to try foiling. I've been, I've, I've got the bug. Good, do it. So we're going to see. And there's going to be some foil companies at the boardroom show too. Perfect. There are plenty of places to do it safe and have fun and not. That's the thing. Not injure other people. That's the thing. Is there's so many options for foilers that aren't options for surfers. Well, and that's truly why it's so cool. Like it, it used to be that was sort of the mantra of the stand-up paddle or two. Like, hey, you can go do it anywhere. You don't have to be near. But of course, they all ended up being around surfers because that's where the waves were good but with foiling you don't need good waves you literally just it's the wave underneath the wave that matters it's not you know so yeah that's the problem with the foot with the footage i posted last night was it's on a breaking wave it's like a racing inside track at county line like what are you even that's not even the right way for you to be doing that that's my wave bro beat it beat it beat it howie spitpodcast.com scott that's right spitpodcast.com until next time adios and aloha 
so let's leave it alone Cause we can't see eye to eye There ain't no good guy There ain't no bad guy There's only you and me and we just disagree about you Have you got a place to stay? Why should I care? When I'm just trying to get along We were friends But now it's the end of 